Bible stories, where we are taking ancient stories and seeking to find modern applications for our life. And we're looking at various uh, Bible characters, and some of the lesser known Bible characters, and saying, what can we learn from their life? And today we're looking at a man named Mordecai. Mordecai is found in the book of Esther. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Esther. We'll be there in a few moments' time. With Mordecai, he's a man that was a genuine inspiration for his cousin, Esther. And we'll tell the story in a few moments' time, and then we'll make some application. Have you ever been with people, and when you're surrounded by people that are positive, you find yourself, when you are around positive people, do you find yourself naturally being very pessimistic? Or do you find yourself actually being more enthused and more positive yourself? When you're around a person that tells you, you can do it, I believe in you, I'm behind you, like a coach or a teacher, when your parents are behind you, do you find yourself going, no, I can't? Or do you find yourself inspired by a person who's behind you going, I'm with you, I'm cheering you on? That's why for sports teams, home field advantage should account for something because your team should be cheering you on behind you. As a person who sees the big picture, not just the short-term circumstances. And when you're around a person that sees the big picture, they become an inspiration. Rather than just living in the past or focusing on where they are today, they can see the past, the present, and in a very real way, the future, and say, well, I see the big picture, and I'm going to inspire others to be obedient to the gospel. There are people that are known throughout history, like William Carey. William Carey was a missionary in India. Uh, he died 188 years ago. William Carey is famously quoted as saying this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. A man who died 188 years ago is still being an inspiration today through his life, through his words, and through the legacy that he's left behind. This man, Mordecai, who we're looking at today, is a man that we can call an inspiration. He wasn't just a person that said, yeah, you can do it, whatever you want. He was a person who put his own life on the line to come alongside his cousin Esther and to support her, to encourage her. He was a big picture thinker, not a short-term thinker. And as a result of that, we find in the book of Esther, chapter number 4, verse number 14. And if you've been around Christianity for a while, you've probably heard this. Who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this? You may have heard that phrase, for such a time as this. And maybe you didn't know where it came from or the background behind it. And this morning we're just really scratching the surface of the account and the story of Esther and Mordecai in the Bible. But here's our principle for today. I must trust God and inspire others 
to live by faith. Let me say that again. I must trust God and then through that inspire others to live by faith. Every single person here today, I believe if we apply the principles we find today in God's word, we can live by faith ourselves, but also we can inspire others and make a positive, eternal impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We suffer in our world today with a disease. Every single one of you, and it's not called COVID, it's called someday-itis. And someday-itis is a disease that we all suffer from where we have a disease where we say, well, someday I will do that. Someday I will move forward. Someday I'll believe enough or someday I'll know enough. And with someday-itis, someday never comes. And we look back in our life and going, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. And we don't want to live a life of saying, I wish I would have. We want to live a life of faith where we inspire others. And this morning we're going to go through very briefly, I'm going to give you a summary of the book of Esther. And then we're going to go back and make some application for our life of how we can inspire others for such a time as this. The book of Esther was written... In a time period, Bible commentators estimate around 479 B.C. Thinking of the time period of the nation of Israel, this is after people like Moses and after the law and after kings like King David and King Solomon. And through that, they had their children and the kingdom of Israel was divided. And then from that, God sent prophets and prophets and prophets was telling Israel, come back, repent, return to the things of God. And Israel would turn back for here and there and back and forth. And then finally God says, I'm going to send your enemies, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, to come and to take you into captivity if you don't turn back. And Israel still didn't turn back. So God allowed the enemies of Israel to take Israel the nation of Israel, into captivity for 70 years. And during that time period of 70 years, you have very known, well-known characters in the Bible, like Daniel. He lived during this time period. At the end of this time period, you have people like Ezra and Nehemiah who wrote books of the Bible. And the, after that, which is estimated about 100 years after the, the original captivity, you have people from the nation of Israel that are still spread throughout the known world at the time because of that captivity. Many people had returned back to Israel, but they remained remnants throughout the known world. And one of these groups was in what's modern day Iran, which is in Persia. And the Persian Empire had gone through and taken over the Babylonian Empire. And they were the world superpowers of the day. And as the world superpower, you had King Azarus. And King Azarus was the ruler of the, in a sense, the known world. He was the ultimate power of the day. And then as the king thought to himself how good he was. 
He had a queen who he felt dishonored him. If you read the story, she really didn't. She stood up for herself. And as a result of that, he deposed her as queen. And then with his wise counselors came up with the idea of having a kingdom-wide beauty contest. Now, I'm sorry, ladies. I'm sure Esther had a really good personality. But also, she was beautiful. And as a result of her beauty and the way that she, she conducted herself, she was chosen as among the entire kingdom. This kingdom went for all the way from Greece to India down to Ethiopia. And Esther was chosen as the most beautiful and most eligible bachelorette. And be, she became the next queen. All along, her cousin, Mordecai, who had raised her because her parents had died. And he raised her as his own daughter. So yes, they were related as cousins, but really it was like a father-daughter relationship. He was behind the scenes encouraging and advising and helping her remember her heritage all along. And there's a number of various things that take place through this period of time. But one particular thing took place. As godly and as Jewish and as God-honoring as Mordecai was, there was an opposite man, a man named Haman. Now, Haman was a man called an Agagite. It's kind of a fun word to say. If you want to say Agagite, you can. Ready? Agagite. And he was an Agagite, which was from the family of Canaanites. Another ite. And the Canaanites were the arch enemies of the Israelites. And as an Agite, he was plotting behind the scenes, generation after generation after generation, we hate the Israelites. We hate the Jewish people. And all along, he's plotting. He became the second in charge of the kingdom, right underneath the king. And Haman became like the prime minister. And one day he was standing at the gate of the city and everyone bowed down to Haman as the prime minister and Mordecai refused to bow before him because he knew what this man and who he stood for and who this man really was and he refused to bow. This infuriated Haman to the point where he manipulated and tricked the king into signing an edict that would have led for the destruction of the entire Israelite race of people. This is the Holocaust 2,500 years ago. And they said, in 12 months' time, on this particular day, we are going to sign an edict where Everyone can attack and pillage anyone that is Jewish. Can you imagine the terror that was going throughout the land at that time? That's where we find this verse where Mordecai is talking to his cousin Esther and encouraging her to go before the king and to tell him the truth. Tell him the motivation behind Haman to expose him for what he was. And then through that, liberate and save her people. And that's where he says, you are placed in the kingdom for such a time as this. 
As a result of that, the Queen Esther was given favor before the king, and she held a banquet and they ultimately exposed evil Haman for who he was. And Haman had some grand and horrible ideas about how he was going to murder Mordecai. And he himself and his family actually was killed in the same manner that he was supposed to be trying to kill Mordecai. You think Bible's G-rated. It's definitely PG-13 at least. And all these things take place. And at the end of it, because of Persian law being once it's written, it cannot be changed. They turned it around and they made another edict. They legally could not get rid of the first edict of killing the Jews. So they also wrote an edict that said all the Jewish people were allowed to defend themselves. And on that particular day, it was exposed of all the people that genuinely hated the Jewish people. And there was a huge battles that went across, across the, the kingdoms. And God had tremendous victory in that day where actually the, the Jewish people pillaged their enemies and ended up being a celebration. As a result of that, even to this day, the Jewish people remember a feast called the Feast of Purim, which is a day where they read the book of Esther and they remember the day that God protected his people from certain defeat. God put the right people in the right place at the right time to inspire others for such a time as this. You and I can inspire others to move forward in faith for such a time as this. How can I inspire others for such a time as this? First of all, it begins with acknowledge the past. If you see on the screen, it has a picture of Alice in Wonderland. And as a child, I remember watching Alice in Wonderland, the movie and the cartoon, and I actually really liked it. Alice came to the caterpillar, and the caterpillar asked her, Who are you? And Alice, going back and forth and becoming tall and short that day, a very confusing day, she says, I don't rightly know. You and I, for today, we have to acknowledge our past and understand where we have come from to understand where we are going. In the book of Esther, chapter number 2, verses 5 through 7, it says this. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconai, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He knew exactly who he was and where he had come from. It goes on, it says, He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Mordecai knew he had a Jewish heritage. He had been living generationally in a foreign land, but he knew who he was. He knew his heritage, and he knew the, the family he was from and what this family would have stood for. He knew his God and their 
their faith, personal faith in God, even though he was living in a foreign land. He also knew that he had family responsibilities. He wasn't just, well, sorry for you, cousin, go raise yourself. He took on that family responsibility because he understood the importance of family. And we ask you today, who are you? And, and if your very first thought was when I asked, who are you, to respond, then you're showing how old you are. You're, you're certainly revealing your age. When we fail to acknowledge our past, we live in denial. We end up being like this man, Matthew Jones. Matthew Jones is a man who stole a forklift and went into a construction site and destroyed and caused $100,000 worth of construction site because he said the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland told him to do it. You see, when we don't know where we are from, we don't know who we are, we end up believing anything. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Because if you believe everything, you have no idea who you are. And someone else will be telling you who you are. They'll be manipulating and changing you. So let me ask you the question, who are you? If we go back to the Bible, as I studied this out, I was looking at various passages and ended up just going right back to Romans chapter number 8. And in Romans chapter number 8, it gives us a beautiful, I have seven points here we're going to go through really quickly. And I hope this is an encouragement to you. When you ask yourself, who am I? Because you may be saying like Alice in Alice in Wonderland, I don't rightly know. But if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, here's what the Bible says about you. It says that you are, as it says in Romans chapter number 8, not condemned in Christ. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are set free in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're called children of God through Christ. The spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are also called heirs with Christ. We have children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have now a purpose through Christ. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to them who are called according to his purpose. We also find that we have security in Christ. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then finally, at the end of the chapter, it says that we are called more than conquerors through Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Go down to verse number 37. It says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
that summarize all those seven points are summarized with simply God loves you. So if nothing else today, as you leave, you want to know who you are, you can simply say, I don't know everything about me, but I know who I am. I'm loved by God. So let me ask you the question. Who are you? In order to inspire others for such a time as this, we have to acknowledge the past. But also, we must accept the present. One of the most difficult things to do is explain to someone that's lost and give them directions when they don't know where they are. You have someone ring you up and say, help me, I'm lost. And the first question you ask is, where are you? And they say, I don't know. It's very difficult to give them correct directions. The question of our world is, where am I? And you may be asking that today. And if you've answered that question today and you know it, it helps you to inspire others because you know not just who you are, but you know where you are. The question is, where are you? Because it's impossible to live in the past. It's impossible to live in the future. You have to live in the present. So therefore, where are you today? Where has God placed you today? We have a choice. As evil Haman was promoted to the office and people were bowing down to him, Mordecai had a choice. The choice was either comply with everyone else and look like everyone else or to bow down. Let's read it in Esther chapter number 3, verse number 2, where it says, All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid a homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. He had a choice. What should he do? If you think about it, he could have thought, hmm, I'm going to be sick that day so that I don't have to bow down and I don't have to stand up. I can just comply by being sick. Or I can go and hide around the corner when he goes back and no one will notice me and I'll just get by. And once he's gone, I'll come back out and act like I was there the whole time. There's a number of things that he could have done. He could have even said, you know what, I'm even going to bow down. But on the inside, I'll really be standing up. And at school... And at work, do you find that struggle? You know what the right thing to do is when everyone else is doing what you know you should not do. And you think, well, I'll just call in sick or I'll just go hide or I'll just conform. But on the inside, I know I'm not. Here's a choice. Mordecai knew where he was in the present and he acted accordingly. This is the difference between responding and reacting. The passage there says that the king commanded it. So therefore, Mordecai had already decided what he was going to do before Haman came out and was ready to be bowed before. 
He had already decided in his heart how he was going to respond before that crisis came. Before that should I, shouldn't I opportunity came, he had already made the choice of how he was going to respond. How can you and I make some choices? Rather than waiting for that moment of crisis and going, what should I do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Should I bow? Should I not? Should I conform? Should I not? Make the choice even today how you are going to react so therefore you're really responding in faith. Because we want to be one of these people that thinks big picture, not short term. Mordecai could have easily just conformed and gone through the motions. Because to be honest with you, if you continue reading that passage, if we go down to Esther chapter number 3, verses 5 and 6, there was an outcome that wasn't necessarily what Mordecai probably realized at the time. He made Haman mad. And at the time, you could have thought, Mordecai, why didn't you just bow down like everyone else did? Why did you have to go and stir up the hornet's nest and make Haman the Agagite angry at us? And now he wants to kill not just you, he wants to kill every single one of us. You ever look at that and go, whoa, I didn't expect that to happen. And that's exactly what took place here. It says in verses 3, 5, it says, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, and he disdained to, ta- to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, and was, he found out he was a Jewish person, he goes, well, I don't like Jewish people. Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Azarus. Here's some unintended consequences. If you go back to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter number 24, verse number 15, Joshua is encouraging the nation of Israel to make a choice. He says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the regions beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And he famously says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the book of Matthew, chapter number six, Jesus gives us a change of perspective. Rather than thinking just in the immediate, to think in the big picture, in the kingdom, In Matthew chapter number 6, verses 31 and 33, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. And then he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That passage says, Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them all. He already knows. That, I'm no doubt, because Mordecai was a human, he goes, what have I done? Our entire race of people is going to be annihilated because of something I've done? And according to the Bible, God already knew about it. He was orchestrating it and setting them up so that they could have a great victory later on. We also... We see here, to inspire others for such a time as this, we have to acknowledge the past and ask, who am I? We also have to accept the present 
of where are you? Let me ask you that question. Even right now, where you are right now, where are you in life? What opportunities, what struggles, what gifts and abilities have you been given? We also see that we are to anticipate potential. Anticipate potential. And the question of that is, why am I? And you may have asked that a number of times. I can see other people. I can see how they fit into life. I can see where they've come from and where they're going. But why am I? Certainly, I am the exception, you may say to yourself. I'm the exception because I don't fit into any of those other boxes. A Scottish pastor from the 1800s named Alexander White says this, The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. We have the privilege of having new beginning after new beginning after new beginning. Mordecai saw beyond just the past and beyond the present, and he could see the potential in where God had placed his cousin Esther as the queen of the world superpower. And he says in chapter number 4, verses 13 and 14, it says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. In other words, God's protection will remain. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He saw the potential both in the faithfulness of God. He says, Esther, if you don't step up, God's going to provide someone else to step up. And he'll provide a protection through another means. But he says, I believe God has brought you and placed you exactly where you are today for a great potential in the future. He was inspiring someone to do something that was far beyond her natural ability. I wonder if someone around you in your life wasn't behind you giving you a word of encouragement. Saying, you can do this. I believe in you. I've been praying for you. I'm behind you. I'm supporting you. So often we know it, but other people can't see it. And unless we express it and say it out loud, it becomes something empty. Silly illustration. Have you ever walked through a spider web? And you can feel it. And you start pulling off the spider web and you look kind of silly and no one else can see. And you think to yourself, I wonder what other people are thinking of me right now as I do this. A number of years ago, my dad and I were walking his dog across a park and a swarm of bees came across. And I've never had this happen before. A swarm of bees came all around us and we realized there's bees bees everywhere and we started running and frailing our arms around and it was a beautiful calm afternoon and on the other side of the oval was a man just standing there with his dog watching us <laughs> and he, you know, like, 
like he had no idea what we were going through. This is interesting. <laughs> like, so often, other people may not believe, and they may think you're crazy, they may think you're foolish, but you see potential in others, you see potential in the things that God has done in your life for such a time as this. There's some things that you must know. In Romans chapter number 8, verse 28 again, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to to his purpose. The key word there is his purpose. Not my idea, not your idea, but God's idea. You have to know who you are in order to inspire others. You have to know where you are in order to inspire others. And also where you are going to inspire others. In 1 John chapter number 5, verse 13, is one of my favorite verses of the Bible to share with people because it, it literally lays out the purpose of why the Bible was written. And the man who wrote this is John, and he's an elderly man at the time, and he's writing like a grandfather would write to his children or his grandchildren and saying, I love you, I care for you, I want you to know what is true. And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The beautiful thing there is, is not hope, it's not guess, it's not earn, it's that you have eternal life. Of course, that's through, as it says there, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Because of what you know, and because of where you were, and because of who you are, you can Allow God to work in you and through you to inspire others to act in faith. But Mordecai and Esther didn't just do this in their own strength and their own power. Immediately following the, the passage that says, for such a time as this, immediately following that, they did their first act of courage where they stepped forward in courage. And it says in verses 15 through 17, it says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. And though it is against the law, if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. They spent three days in fasting. Now, anytime we see fasting recorded in the Bible, there's always something else that goes alongside fasting. That is prayer. They were seeking God. God, how do you want me to approach this? God, what do you want me to do? It's all well and good to try to inspire others because you may know who you are. You may know where you are. You may know where you're going. But if we're not inspiring others with the things of God, then we are incredibly self-centered, miserable people. Thank God that we have the example of Mordecai that knew, why are you? Let me ask you this morning, why are you here on earth? I don't believe you're a cosmic accident. I don't believe, that according to the Bible, that God 
has no plan for you, or he has no purpose for you. So this morning, as we come to a conclusion, I want you to ask those questions one more time. Who are you? Where are you? Then finally, why are you? And as you work through and let God work in your hearts and your life, we can, through that, inspire others and also trust God ourselves. We don't want to live a life of someday-itis. We don't want to suffer from that disease as a very curable disease. We don't want to delay our obedience for tomorrow, what God has called for us today.